Hi everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the Shiny Developer Series. I am so happy you joined us. My name is Eric Nance and we're going to get to our interview shortly. But I wanted to preface it by saying that when I started this developer series, there were definitely a few different focuses I wanted to highlight. And one of those is being able to use Shiny to solve real problems in business, whether it's in any industry that can take advantage of having dynamic web-based applications that are powered by R. And so today we're going to have a great chat with Yanni City, who, like me, was an early adopter of Shiny, and he found some really interesting ways to bring usefulness to his businesses that he's worked for with using Shiny to really solve complex problems. We're going to hear about his tales of getting started with Shiny in the banking industry and some of the awesome innovations he's worked on and being in life sciences, which actually I'm a part of as well. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get started with our interview with Yanni City. <laughs> very good, very good. Well, let's let's dive into this, shall we? Um, so welcome everybody to our number installment of the Shiny Developer Series. I am thrilled to be joined by somebody I met at RCDOConf quite a few years ago, it seems like now. Um, we've, we hit it off quite well, talking about Shiny and R and all the fun things we've been doing with that in our industry work and in our open source projects. So it's my pleasure to welcome Yanni City to the Shiny Developer Series. Uh, Yanni, how are you doing today? Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good, well, thank you so much for joining me. I have quite a few things I'd like to cover. So first, maybe you could give our audience a bit of background about yourself and how you discovered R and then Shiny from there. Sure, so I'm a statistician by training. Uh, I'm from Israel, actually, um, and went to the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I uh, got my PhD in stats and my journey um, moved me to the US where I worked for four years at Metrum uh, Research Group. Uh, it's a small pharma uh, consulting company in Connecticut. And now I transferred to Sage Therapeutics um, where I'm gonna do modeling and simulation. Uh, my background actually started in SAS and in MATLAB uh, in, in college. R wasn't quite there yet for everyone. And uh, all the instructors knew SAS and MATLAB. So that was the, that's what you learned. I, I've been there. Uh, I have lots of stories about that one in my stat lab days in grad school. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Printing out the log was quite the adventure. Oh, uh, was whatever. Yes. So, uh, while I was at university, I actually was a research assistant, the central bank there, the Bank of Israel, mm -hmm. where um, we did all kinds of small stuff uh, with uh, uh, economics and stuff like that. And a lot of it was MATLAB based, um, a lot of Stata, which is another fun program. Oh, Maybe yes. You, we used, you're familiar with that one? Yep. Yep. The hard way. <laughs> the hard way. Yep. Yep. And uh, and while I was actually waiting for a rotating license for MATLAB uh, to come around, my turn to actually do some work, um, I was told it's going to take a few months <laughs> to wow. get a MATLAB license. So I'm not. I wasn't keen on waiting too long, and I'm not too good at Stata to to do everything in Excel and Stata. 
So I was one of the ones who later turns out was a bad thing. I backdoored R into the central bank. Well, <laughs> I'm, you know. I'm one of those. <laughs> there could be worse things to backdoor in a bank. I'll just say that. I mean, yeah. I think you picked the right thing. <laughs> So me and a few others started to use R in the bank and um, and slowly and surely it, it caught on um, with all the, all the other users. Um, but that, that was my first real foray into R, uh, transferring stuff from Stata and SAS and MATLAB to the new language um, and learning how to download a package and install it and stuff like that. This is back in uh, 2010. So. Wow. Yeah, I've, I I won't say how much I have you beat there, but I, I used it a little bit beforehand. I'm an old timer here, but yeah, it was, it was a different world back then with yep. how you could get started with R for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over time, though, the, there were enough users in the in the bank across beyond the research department that um, we had a problem that uh, because there's such a strong firewall for all the re regulatory institutes mm -hmm. that we didn't have access to CRAN. Yes. Which kind of makes it hard to use R. <laughs> <laughs> it's one like the backbone of everything almost. So. <laughs> yeah. So because I was the one who actually brought it in, the IT department said it was... I have to find a way to, if, if I want to continue using it, I have to find a way to, to bring CRAN inside of it, inside the bank. So oh. we basically mirrored CRAN like the, in the old way, putting, putting it on a hard disk and bringing it in. <laughs> wow, that's intense, but kudos to you for going that far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that, that was a, an experience that uh, was a fun one. I can um, imagine. Yeah. So Shiny actually was also something in the bank that um, we brought in a few years later. Um, we we started to, I was working in the finance department in the mm -hmm. research area, um, testing out if banks are going to fail, which is always fun. Oh, yes. Actually, my job was to try and fail the banks on the computer. So, Well, you know, better you than someone else, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. So um a way to try and communicate and also to track the real-time flow of data um, that we were seeing in stocks and bonds was to create a dashboard now i think that was probably my first dashboard that i went through and um that was 2015 ish something like that so shiny was still pretty pretty new i think Right at that stage, so that was that was an experience of trying to understand how Shiny works and and trying to pipe it in and and explain to non R or non non uh, visual uh, people mm -hmm. what they're seeing and how it interacts. So the first thing that my boss asked after we prototyped it was. I need you to take a screenshot of everything that you just did and hand me a booklet of that. Like, that's oh, not, boy. It's not, not going to work. No, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've had situations where we had testers of an app I built 
do that very thing with their PC, take screenshots, send me a Word document of all the screenshots attached inside. And I'm thinking there's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that, that, that was interesting. But that, that was actually, that app was before CrossFilter, but that was the basic idea of it. Oh, that neat. you could manipulate across different uh, tabs and it would affect the whole app all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and filter on plots and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool um, to play around with. And then um, after that, we moved to the States. My wife uh, did a graduate degree at UConn. So mm-hmm. we moved to the States. Um, and after that, uh, we had, I, I did a few apps. Uh, think on my own uh, before I got I got the GG edit. Um, we did a, an app that tracked that read in from Google Docs back in 2016, 15 mm-hmm. um, uh, and updated an app in real time for elections. Oh wow. So this is actually a precursor to the GG edit, which is kind of neat. The so it was my first time using shiny apps uh, io also mm-hmm. so back then it was i think predominantly free because they wanted people to use it yeah they yep. had the free tier and they were yeah trying yep. to push it out yep 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 so i got enough users to to test it to use that that app i put it on shiny apps io and you can kind of navigate around all the different polls and create and uh, your own uh, coalition and the app would simulate the outcome. So you can wow. kind of compare the simulation and the, and the observed uh, outcomes of the, of the elections. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew that, w- that it was getting toward the right thing because I would be getting um, angry emails that the app was giving them results that didn't make sense to them (laughs) (laughs) so i thought okay so i'm getting in user interactions now (laughs) yeah you're starting to see the biases sometimes come in when they think they know what should happen and your app is being pretty objective i would say and telling them something else they don't like the truth or the analytics sometimes yeah (laughs) yep yep cool yeah you i got enough traffic though that it was just a time where um shiny apps io was switched from free tier, uh, a larger memory of free tier that you were allowed. And it was just changed a bit. And I had to start to pay. And that was the first time that I, I wrote an email to Tarif at our Ooh, studio. Wow. You went big time there. Yeah. <laughs> well, back, back, I think Tarif answered me, but I, I wrote an email saying that it's not fair, that it was free up till now. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really nice. It was my first interaction with Tarif. He was super nice. I, That's so I cool. really enjoyed him. And uh, so I did that uh, shiny app. And then um, I actually met uh, Tal Galili. You know who that is? He's oh, yes. Yeah. Author of our, our bloggers. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So um, he's also based in Israel. So um, we became friends through R and our users and stuff like that. So, That's so cool. 
So he his one one of his main projects in uh, in his PhD was the heat map uh, package. Yes, I'm familiar with that. Yep. Yeah. So we collaborated on doing a shiny app for that. So cool. so that that was um, that was neat to work with him. He's a good friend. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. It sounds pretty organic how you started growing into the community and through both your work projects and then you started making connections. Yep. Um, certainly, it sounds like you were probably a frequent visitor to the Shiny mailing list. That was where I started to get to know certain people, too. And I would see, obviously, Joe Cheng was active there and Tarif was active there about the Shiny Apps IO side of things. So it's really cool that you're able to get involved with some of that. So. Um, yeah, maybe you could transition a bit and tell us, um, I was joking with you in the pre-show that I had attended your lightning talk a few years ago at our studio and conf about GG edit. And I remember I was just mesmerized by what was possible in this, what seemed like this really small yet extremely powerful gadget. Uh, maybe you could tell our listeners what was the motivation for creating GG edit and what were some of the tricks you had to do as a shiny kind of package author to make make all that happen sure so the gg edit um it original well it's a package that lets you edit the aesthetics of a plot uh, that you already built so a lot of times there's apps that would um you would have to go from soup to nuts inside the app yeah which the ui can get a bit cluttered or it you have to bring in data and all sorts of thing. And I wanted a way to, if I already had a, a plot or I was given a plot by someone else while I was working or to a client, I wanted a way to edit that plot. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the original, uh, the origination of it because we were making an app that was, uh, you'll appreciate this, uh, tables, lists, and figures. Oh, the acronym of anybody in life sciences has uh, a varied opinions on that acronym. But yes, I yep. know all about that. Yep. <laughs> yep. So we we were making um, when I joined Metron, they they were making already uh, an application that basically let you do a a, a full report for uh, modeling and simulation and pharmacokinetic report mm-hmm. um, from. Uh, what uh, their their main uh, app, their main software is non-mem. Sure. Uh, so the output from non-mem, you want to create a visual predictive check and all of that stuff. And the app basically would take you through the whole report process and make it uh, uh, templated, basically. Mm-hmm. So and then you would get the full R all all of the R script to recreate your report at the end of it, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So at the middle of that, um, a lot of stuff that we innovated in there was that that was before shiny modules, stuff <laughs> like that. Yep. So so we we basically had to manually do the whole environment, uh, all the NS stuff that we take for granted today. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's an undertaking of great. Uh, um, I don't know how to say it, but I've tried that before, before modules. I fell flat on my face on it. So I'm sure you guys were a bit more successful than I was when I first tried it. That. It, it was, it, it took me a while to understand that there was a guy at Metro that uh, brought, brought the original idea. He's mm-hmm. great. Um, and 
and part of the problem was that um, each each plot was done, um, it wasn't a static template. So what, whatever you asked, the UI was the UI was created. So mm -hmm. um, now it's insert UI, but it was before yep. insert UI. Uh, yep. <laughs> so um, uh, so we didn't want to actually create all the all the infrastructure for the UI to manipulate mm -hmm. plots. That was the main problem. I see. How how do you how do you let the user manipulate all the aesthetics without actually building it in for them mm -hmm. for every single plot? So any report can have a lot of different types of plots, right? With different um, groupings, colors, facets, stuff like that. So you can't really plan ahead for it. So that's where ggedit kind of came in and said, "We're not going to plan ahead for you. <laughs> we're." <laughs> We're 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 gonna let a package understand the plot that you created, and reverse engineer it, and then build the UI from there, and just do it um, with code, and then allow you to edit whatever you want aesthetically wise for that plot. Mm -hmm. So that was that 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 was the motivation for it. Um, Another motivation was actually harping back to my uh, research assistant days where I would endlessly edit plots in Excel. <laughs> oh, the pains I've been through on that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to put those days behind me where I edit um, if a triangle is becoming a circle or not or what color <laughs> it is. So yeah. that, that was another big uh, motivation. So the idea was how do we how do we empower the, the user to edit those without needing another person? Yeah, exactly. Putting them in control and then being flexible enough to give them enough to customize without making it too daunting at the same time. Because as as you're, I'm sure you're aware, there's like anything with ggplot2, you can edit just about any aspect of that plot. So I'm sure you had to be a little more you know, diligent on, okay, what parts are worth editing Maybe other parts that you say, well, we're going to kind of have our hands off on that. Because I know that's a difficult line to draw sometimes. Sometimes yeah. you have users who want to customize every single thing. And it's almost like they're a graphic designer. Then you have others just like, I just want to change the color of one thing in a legend and I'm done with it. So trying to find that balance, I know it can be a bit tricky. Yep. Yeah. And over time, the with uh, Joe and, and, uh, uh, creating shiny modules and mm -hmm. Winston creating shiny modules. Uh, GG Edit got a lot of makeovers over time. I bet. <laughs> uh, and they became uh, more more lean and efficient. And also uh, the um, GG plot itself, um, introducing Arlang and things yes. like that. So a lot of the things that we used to use, like the underscore uh, eight, what was it, underscore str? Yeah, yeah, right, edit. right. Mm -hmm. So that was a major undertaking to rip out all of that and replace it with Arlang. <laughs> right, yeah. I've, I've, I've dived into the Arlang world a bit, and yeah, legacy code going to that's a bit painful. So I know that can be tough. <laughs> yep, yep. So yeah, that was GG. Yeah, that was, that was a fun project. Yeah, I do remember when it came out, I experimented a little bit. And then when modules came out, that's when I was like, 
hey, wait a minute, this is like everything I wanted because I can just fold ggedit into my existing app. And I think when, yeah, when you did make that update to make it a little more module friendly, I jumped on it right there. So I know I had at least one app, maybe two that used it to do the finer features of the plot. And that way I didn't have uh, my team or people that were users of my app give me angry emails about, I don't like that color. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, now I give them away to choose all that. So it's yeah. only been a helpful package. And I'm, I hope that, yeah, you continue development of it because I think it's a very important package in this space for sure. Yeah, the um, one of the ideas that was batted around that I'll pick up at some point <laughs> uh, is uh, trying to make, um, there's, there's some apps that, um, as I said, you start from data until the end of the plot. Right. Um, and usually those, those apps are um, limited to a layer or two, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so when time, when time permits, uh, which never happens, okay. uh, <laughs> um, trying to create um, a GG layer type of thing in Shiny, where instead of, of of creating a module that basically recreates the geome. Oh, interesting. And then you can just pop in a new, like add a new layer. Mm -hmm. So then a Shiny app, you can create as many layers as you want, as complex as you want, and they're all independent of each other. And then behind the scenes, they're, they're, at, they're adding layers to the same base plot. That sounds fun. Yeah, I'm probably not easy either, but uh, certainly I hope, yeah, when you do get a spare moment, that sounds like a great feature to have for sure. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, it, it's clear to me that you you and I have similar paths. We were both early adopters of Shiny, and I think you probably had a, seems like you were able to venture in deeper territory than I was in the very beginning where, I'll be honest, when I first started with Shiny, the, fir the first, well, I should say, when I was in grad school, the only web type interface I ever built was like one of these PHP interfaces with a MySQL backend. So Shiny was giving me all these new tools to create interesting UIs. And I know one thing I've had to learn along the way is it's not just about throwing a bunch of inputs on it and overwhelming your user with all these different options and not having a clear direction on how the path workflow should be but you really do have to start paying attention to the UX experience. So even with ggedit, I thought it was laid out quite nicely with the tab interface and going to the different options. So certainly whether you realize it or not, you're already thinking of those things at that time. So certainly that's been helpful um, as, as anybody out there that's learning shiny for the first time, getting the UX right can mean so much, even though it may not be something you think about right away um, for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think that was probably the first project where I took a pencil and paper and drew <laughs> yep. the app. Wireframes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I drew the app, and and after about 30 drawings, I, I got to roughly where, where the app was. <laughs> yeah, well, that it, it, believe me, I've had a lot of scrap paper, one of my bigger apps at, at the company, and when I thought I had the idea and I start coding, I'm like, nope, toss it away, try yep. again. <laughs> yep. Very cool. So as, as we kind of alluded to earlier on, you and I both have been working in kind of a similar industry, life sciences, for a few years now. Um, it'd be interesting to hear from kind of a practitioner perspective, maybe how Shiny was able to 
bring a lot of value and maybe a, a, a project that you worked on. You don't have to get into specifics, but I know for me, I've been able to, in essence, save the company maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes just by going from a proprietary product to a, a product built with Shiny and obviously using open source. I'm just curious if you have similar examples and your projects are able to bring a lot of value to your customers with something that was built with Shiny. So the the company that I worked for, uh, Metrum Research Group, so they they adopted Shiny early on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no proprietary software to, to mimic there. Sure. Um, but the main, uh, because it was a CRO and consulting, it's a consulting company. So mm-hmm. a lot of Shiny use was how do we communicate comp- relatively complex uh, models that, and simulations to the clients um, and highlight in, in the Shiny apps the, uh, the endpoints that they're interested in, the, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, try and and try and hone in not not on the on the technical sides, but on the decision making points right. that they have, and and try and steer a conversation around that. And the good thing that Ch- that Chinese adds was that you can kind of um, instead of having a static document that or an R markdown document with Chinese, you can kind of iterate across questions that a client may have Mm -hmm. and then the conversation can continue a a lot smoother and you can further interrogate based on your current conversation not say i'll okay i'll get back to you in a week like that right so that that's the main leverage of shiny with the stuff that we did yeah that's a very similar thing that i experienced where before they would give me a question I had to answer. I had to go back to my desk, crunch out the R code, get the, well, maybe a TFL, dreaded word, or some kind of work product back, meet with them again. They'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Now try this. Yeah. Like, oh, boy. And so I, I remember just being able to minimize just meetings with the app. I can pull right on the projector screen, just say, okay, this is what we talked about last time. Here's the impact of it. You want me to change like this slider to move this value over here? I'm like, yeah, I'll try that. And then that way it's all done. So it's one, it, I think a lot of people that may be new to Shiny may not realize initially, it's not just for end users like that or the customers of the app. It's also for yourself too. It can really enhance your productivity. Obviously, you've kind of experienced that with what you did with GG Edit as well. That was enhancing your ability. Yeah. So customize plots and not just the users of your app. So it's, it's one of those things I didn't really appreciate when I first started. So I'm hearing your examples um, from somebody in the industry like me. It's, it's great to hear others feel that similar. Yeah, and, al- and also internally, um, there was a lot of times where we would um, run long running simulations, like days, days at a time. And um, <laughs> especially if you're working with uh, stuff like SunGrid Engine, I deal with that as I speak. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's a beast. Uh, nice. So you can't really, once you send off a job, as in any um, uh, cloud, um, you don't really know where it's at while it's running. So <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not great with unknown <laughs> and waiting. Um, so we created an app 
that would basically read in um, real-time information from the grid engine. And then you can track where job is at yep. in real time. And also stop a job if like you're trying to optimize something and it and it diverges in the middle, then you can stop the the sun grid from working at the same time. Mm -hmm. So being able to, and especially in non-mem where you can actually track the the op, how it's optimizing the the model that you're doing, um, so you can actually see the the likelihood and the parameter estimates and everything. Right. So. Um, especially with if you're using Shiny Server, you can send off a job and then look at your phone with the app and see, okay, my my model's running okay, and then yeah. you're fine. Or if you need within the app, you can just kill the the job from the app itself. So it kind of releases you from the unknown and yeah. um, and and empowers you kind of to to also do other things at the same time. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm commiserating because I've literally built three apps that have dealt with SunGrid Engine in one way, shape, or form, and being able to have the ability to monitor that in real time. Um, I I don't know the techniques you use, but I use the combination of like a reactive that would invalidate later and kind of reactively pull like QStat output or other things like that or logs that maybe the job was creating. And in that way, the user can even get a makeshift progress bar sometimes. They'll be like, okay, I'm at this simulation. We have like 100, 100 more to complete. And it gives them something that something's happening. The worst thing is when you do these things, if you don't take that time to think about how do I inform the user of what's happening, they're just going to think you broke the app or your app is broken if they yep. think there's just nothing happening. So that took me a long time to nail down. Now, I'm not saying I have it perfect yet, but... Certainly, I've learned a lot about how to interact with these systems. And that was, yeah, being able to wrap some kind of simulation pipeline with Shiny was kind of like a game changer for me, where then I could let others that maybe don't know the ins and outs of best practices of high-performance computing and their R code. They just look at my app. It streamlines all that for them. It's not going to take the shortcuts that they shouldn't take, and it's not going to overwhelm the system i can put checks in to make sure they're not going to launch like a hundred thousand jobs by accident or something like that yeah so that's really interesting you've been on that side of the world too that's pretty cool yeah yeah, yeah uh, go ahead. no no you go ahead yeah finish up yeah. um and uh yeah the we also use the well this is kind of niche non-mem but you're um being able to use shiny and uh and the uh what is it called the the editor um in shiny um forget mm -hmm. its name um so you can use it as a lint kind of mechanism oh neat so if you want to kind of get people to work in a standard way where that that language is not built for standardization at all <laughs> definitely not yeah <laughs> so you can so in order to get people to kind of work in a templated way, we built an app that they would put in their their control stream, and mm -hmm. then it would it would first it would restructure it a bit in order to space it out, like doing um, um, what is it called the R package that that does the 
the right spacings for you. Um, oh, and there's like Linter and other ones, yeah, in that space, yeah. Yep, yep. So kind of mimicking that, but for non-mem. Mm -hmm. And then you can, and then for me it was important because I I I didn't want to start to change all of their how their control streams are set up, but okay. that would also that would do it for me automatically, and then I could help them because we we would be talking the same language at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting. And I know I've I've seen some of my uh, colleagues try something similar with even defining Bayesian model syntax and letting the user put that into this editor box in the app. And then that can get translated into like the Bayesian models maybe running in the JAG sampler, for example, or things yep. like that. So there's lots of cool things you can do. But of course, anytime you let the user input free text that's supposed to be interpreted as code, You've definitely got to be careful. <laughs> There's some bookkeeping to do there too. Yeah. So yep. that's very cool. Um, so to me, this is really enlightening to see, you know, the ways that Shiny has been helpful to you and, and your projects. And I'll venture to say that here in 2020, getting started with Shiny, even taking that next step to going from like beginner to quote intermediate, however you want to call that next progression is one of the best times because on top of, being able to talk with awesome people like you. We've got new resources out there of like building shiny production apps on multiple levels. But I'm just curious if you were starting with, if you were talking to yourself in 2020 that was just starting with shiny, what advice would you give them to like, you know, pointers and gotchas maybe they should avoid how they get started effectively with it to take it to that kind of building a quote production product level? Um, well, first know that you're going to, uh, have some growing pains and, yes. and be ready for that. Be yes. fully ready for growing pains. Um, but getting used to reactivity and, and understanding, um, the right mechanisms for, um, controlling an app because it's easy to start off and reading, uh, okay, there's a react and a, and a observe pieces of a shiny app. And that's basically it. Uh, with the UI uh, above that, but there's um, um, better ways to to control uh, cascading reactivity. Mm -hmm. I think, and that's something that if I knew that before when I started <laughs> about cascading reactivity, I would yeah. I, I I would have suffered a lot less. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but also, um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, online and GitHub and and look at as many apps as you can. Yes. Um, and uh, also try and find um, even si silly little questions or problems that you may have that you can try and code up as an app. Um, because if you have a goal in mind so when creating an app, I think it's you get into new territories. Um, right. And you have to create new solutions. So mm -hmm. if you're creating the same app or same basic structure over and over and over again, you're not you're not going to grow yourself as a as an app developer. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. I would fall on old habits before, and now I've kind of taken this leap ever since I talked with uh, Colin Fay uh, a year ago about what work they were doing with production apps, and now the Golem package. That's my new workflow now. And just using that alone has taught me different things that 
I either took for granted before, or I just simply didn't know about. So certainly challenging yourself a little bit, not always falling back on the same you know routines if you can maybe optimize it a bit better so that it's not just for you to maintain it better. But the ideal case for me is if I'm building a large app, I have a team working with me. It's not yeah. always that case. Sometimes I am the sole developer of it. Um, but certainly giving other developers a best chance to get on board with it and structuring it in such a way to make that easier will yeah. benefit everybody in the long run. So certainly yeah, Colin, Colin has done a great job with Golem. Uh, yep. the, and getting people to think in, in a more production way is, is an important piece of that. Um, yeah. I, actually, I've done uh, some collaboration with Colin on different part of shiny uh, oh, okay. i think is interesting is um um create trying to understand how you can how you can test for cascading reactivity so um we worked on a package uh, now that name is being taken by someone else <laughs> uh, <laughs> re a reactor um oh, where yeah. where uh i just watched the hbo show uh um, uh, Chernobyl when I was writing the app. So, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that's an interesting way to do it. <laughs> so, so, uh, the, the, the name reactor came. Um, so the, uh, the idea was, uh, how do you, how can you create unit testing that will, uh, track the reactivity of your app? Oh, cool. And then the, the main motivation was if I'm working with you on an app, and you're pushing a, an update, I want a, a continuous integration in the background to test that um, you didn't change the reactivity that was there or or that that kind of thing can be planned ahead now. Oh, so, neat. So you can set expectations for how much reactivity you have. Very cool. Oh, well, I'll have to put a link in the show notes to this one. This is news to me. Yeah, and the back end of that was a package I worked with Colin on, and uh, Kirill um, was called Where Am I? <laughs> where the the original idea of Where Am I, you'll appreciate this, is when you have tables, lists, and figures, um, you have to have a footnote oh, yeah. uh, of the source and, and where the figure is stored. Right. Um, so I got sick of writing that down manually or doing it <laughs> ad hoc. <laughs> so I created a, um, what became a package in then that was um, you put in a function called where am I mm -hmm. and it will always understand where the source code was run and then it'll put it in the footnote for you. Oh, cool. So that way you're not, you, you don't really need to know where, where it's running from. The, fun the package itself will know it for you. So um, even if you, run a run a function that its original source was somewhere else it'll understand where the actual plot was made and not where the function was run so that's that's kind of cool so that that colin saw that and he kind of expanded on it and said we can use it for shiny just the same way Very and then neat. so then instead of putting it on a plot you put it in your shiny app and then every time a reactivity trips that line, it, it writes out 
the time, the log, basically to a log file. It writes out to a log file inside the package mm -hmm. of the line in the app that it was triggered. Wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be checking this out. This sounds Then really it cool. creates a counter for you. So it counts how many times the line was tripped while the app is running. Yeah, this this kind of stuff, I know that a lot of the people I work with struggle with, you know, tracing the reactivity patterns and tracing where certain pieces of the app are being hit. And maybe something's being hit too much or something's not being hit at all. And you're trying to figure out why not. So having this kind of tracing ability and the ability to dive deeper into it, I think is a really helpful feature to have. So certainly this yeah. is something I'll be checking out after this for sure. Nice. So, um, yeah, this has been really awesome to talk shop about Shiny with you. Um, what kind of things are you working on now in terms of like maybe your open source projects or things you want to learn about in the future? You could comment on that. But Yeah. Um, a lot a lot of it is on how to create unit tests for reactivity. Yep. Um, uh, but a different part of it was, is... Um, trying to, uh, we worked with Slack in, in, the, in the company. So mm -hmm. um, getting up, getting packages uh, that are a bit more flexible than Slack are. Oh, okay. Was. Um, I worked a lot with uh, Bob Rudis on Slack R and at some point mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> we decided that uh, Slack R wasn't flexible enough. So, <laughs> um, so now created a kind of universe of Slack packages where you can um, uh, use the API in different areas. So you can even do a reprex in Slack now. Oh, cool. So it will create for you the right output in order to upload it to Slack. And then you can make interaction Slack more efficient, mm -hmm. um, just like in like GitHub issues or in Stack Overflow. Now you can do it in Slack. So um, I worked with uh, John Harmon from R4DS. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he actually wrote an app on top of that. Neat. On top of that Slackverse. And he created a dashboard for um, R for data science using that, cool. that infrastructure. So hopefully that will make life for him a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I met him at RCOConf last year or earlier this year. Yeah, we, we were able to talk shiny stuff there too. That's cool. Nice. Um, so certainly, um, Yanni, this has been really awesome to chat with you. Um, if others want to follow along what you've been working on or catch up with you on maybe say social media, where, where are the best places they can get a hold of you? So on Twitter, you can find me at YanniCD with C-E-E-D-E-E, -E -E. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my handle. And on GitHub, it's just Yanni CD with a C and a D. Um, cool. All my packages are there. Nice. And I must say, you're one of my more entertaining uh, people I follow on Twitter. You always give me a laugh in one way, shape, or form. <laughs> and you always throw these awesome nuggets in there, too. And I'm like, oh, he learned that? How, how did I miss that? So, yeah, definitely follow, follow Yanni if you're not following him already. <laughs> Cool. Well, again, Yanni, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we'll be, I'm sure we'll be crossing paths again. And so you're welcome back on the Shiny Dev Series anytime if you want to talk again. Thank you. Thank great. You. Great. Thanks a lot, everybody. We'll be back right after this. All right. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Yanni. He had so much interesting tidbits to share. 
tales from the trenches, you might say, just like me, where I've learned a lot about my skills of shiny have been enhanced by trying to solve problems in the industry I work with, and he's definitely experienced similar flows as me. Um, but it was fascinating to hear some of his background, and I'm really interested in see how he progresses some of his new packages, especially the to-be-renamed reactor package for understanding reactivity patterns. So if you want to see past episodes of the Shiny Developer Series, the easiest place to go is to our site, shinydevseries.com. You'll, also, you'll see every video posted there, which directly links to our YouTube channel. So certainly if you like what you're seeing and you want to see more, definitely hit that subscribe button. And you'll be notified about those updates automatically. And check out shinydevseries.com with this episode's post, where you'll see all the links to what Yanni and I talked about today. So we got more great interviews lined up for the future, and I dare say I'm going to get my hand going a little bit with trying some interactive coding on my own and show you some of the skills that I've been learning along the way with developing intermediate and sometimes quite complex shiny apps, and we're going to have fun learning about that together. So that will conclude this episode of Shiny Developer Series. So we will see you next time. Thanks for watching.